recording. Are we recording? We are. <laughs> we should include this. Well, we should. Absolutely. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everybody. And actually, you didn't have your headphones on, so I didn't just blow you out of the water on that one. But I, I can see my levels are peaking over there a little bit. You have a habit of doing that. Clayton Cummings, <laughs> how are you? I'm great. It's uh, another day here at Tinker Public Affairs. Another day means another podcast, Mark. It does, yes. And we have another exciting one. Of course, they're all exciting, but you know, we, the ones that we, we have to... Uh, it takes a long time to schedule and set up because yeah. their time. Um, we always like doing those. So when we get a chance to catch up with commanders, uh, it's good. You know, it takes us a while to set that up. Um, so this particular podcast, we are sitting down with the commander of the 552nd Air Control Wing. That's Colonel Kenneth Voigt. Uh, and he he gets into some good stuff about his priorities in the wing and the future of the wing and where it's going and... Uh, the E3. There's one thing that kind of stuck in my mind with Colonel Voigt. He is an analog man in a digital world. <laughs> yes, that was is. interesting to me. He did. He, he actually said that. So, it, which is very interesting because you're you're talking about a very non-analog aircraft flying around with a very mm -hmm. digital type of uh, secret squirrel mission up there. So that yeah. that was pretty funny that he said that. But yeah. And another thing that stuck out in this conversation, and everyone will hear this shortly, was that, you know, even with all the technology that we have in the DOD at our disposal, it's still people at the end of the day that yeah. make it run. That's kind of hit home with me in this day and age of automation and robots doing everything. Right. Yeah. We're so big into AI and everything mm -hmm. right now, but he really hammered home the fact that the people... Uh, they're the ones that, that make it all happen. The, po the point of execution, I think, is what we say. Yeah. They are the point of execution. And he made a reference to our boss, um, Colonel Rosetta. So I'm, uh, hopefully she uh, she listens to this podcast because I, I hope it comes up in a meeting at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> it will. It always does, Mark, one way or another. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we don't normally pander to people, but I would like to just throw out there that, hey, it's a good time to try to leave a comment. Uh, tell us tell us something about how we're doing or maybe something that you'd like to hear. And, of course, give us a thumbs up. You know, the, the algorithms like it when, when people do that and when they interact with the podcast. So, And not only that, though, but, you know, we're inside the base every day and things become custom to us where, you know, folks on the outside of the base, you know, might have some questions about what happens. That's what this podcast is for, providing insight and, uh, you know, one of Colonel Rosetta's uh, uh, priorities, opening up the base yeah. uh, and exposing really uh, what happens here. A lot of fascinating stuff. That's, yeah, huge, especially for a base like this. Mm -hmm. And before we jump into the podcast, you know, I got to say that you have actually been on top of the dome. So what is, oh. what is the E3 like from yeah. that POV? I'm telling you, folks, you have no <laughs> idea just how big the Ray Dome is on top of the AWACS until you've literally walked on it. It is humongous. And to think that that thing goes up into as high as the air as it does and, 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 and spins it is, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. And it got to be hard to fly. I mean, that thing is, is massive the sitting wind. on top of an airplane. but And it is an incredible piece of technology. And as Colonel Voigt said, and, and you'll hear here soon, that it's an incredible aircraft. It's getting old, but it is still a great piece of machinery. I mean, think about it, though. It, it, it's old, but it's still relevant today. Back then, you know that had to be. 
I mean, like state-of-the-art technology to still be in use in 2024. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's ready for the fight, yep. Keep, keeping, us, keeping us relevant. And so with that, uh, let's go ahead and join this episode of Tinker Talks. Our aircraft is unbelievably capable. Uh, what we have remaining, whether it be here or the, be in, in the Pacific uh, or forward deployed, it will be there for our joint force. It will be able to provide air domain awareness. It will be able to manage, uh, manage the air battle and manage really the, the, uh, the multi-domain battle. So today we are joined by a special guest, a very special guest actually. We've been trying to work this out for quite a while and uh, he finally told us that we were going to do this this month. So we're very excited to be joined today by the 552 Air Control Wing Commander, Kenneth Colonel Kenneth Voigt. Sir, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. And, and it is afternoon, and sometimes I have to point that out because you may be listening to this in the middle of the night or in the morning, so nobody actually knows. But for us, it actually is the afternoon in our conference room here. So welcome to the podcast, sir. Appreciate you taking the time. It's awesome to be here. Pre Thank you for taking time with me. Appreciate you telling us we're going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding you. So, uh, sir, if you wouldn't mind, uh, could you just kind of give our audience a little bit of background about yourself, maybe a, a brief 200 word or less on your career. Not Absolutely. That probably I'll, do that, I'll start reading from my script. It's All about right. seven pages and here we go. I like it. It's uh, no, uh, so I grew up in Long Island, New York. I'm uh, one of, a I'm one of three boys in a, a Italian German family on Long Island. So uh, my younger brother is a Marine. My older brother is a music educator and I'm the one that decided to go into the air force. Uh, I've been, I got commissioned in 99. I've been doing air battle management ever since. So I have uh, close to 2,400 hours on the E3 AWACS. Uh, I have uh, over five years on the uh, CRC, the Controlling Reporting Center, so our mobile ground-based unit. Mm -hmm. And then I have uh, the rest of my time either on certain staffs, whether it be Indo-PACOM, Air Staff, or ACC, or uh, serving in an air operations center, either here at CONUS or uh, overseas. Awesome. So you've had a a long time in in around this platform absolutely your, your whole career I yeah guess. i love these platforms awesome so what what made you decide to join is your older brother in the marines is the older is my younger brother marine my older brother is the furthest thing from military right yeah. love and the death but military is not his forte music educator yes okay so you couldn't convince the younger one to join the air force you know? uh no no he's <laughs> a marine <laughs> full up awesome so sir since you've been connected to this wing for so long, um, way back in 99 when you started this out, did, did it ever occur to you or did you ever think that you'd be commander of America's wing? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> uh, let's see, L Lieutenant Voigt, if he saw Colonel Voigt today, would be shocked. Right. One, at the hairline, but two, at the fact <laughs> of the job. Uh, it's it's amazing to uh, to me that I get to be uh, America's wing commander. Uh, it's the 552 is, is, you know, I've been in and out of the 552 four times. Uh, I've been here since I was a lieutenant. Uh, just the thought of me being the commander of the 552 is just crazy. It's quite a wing. Uh, were you here in after 9-11? I was actually uh, for September 11th, uh, 2001. I was I re reported early. It was the 4 o'clock uh, showtime for a 5 o'clock sim. It was my mission qualification sim, so I was just learning how to finish this job out. I was finishing up in the training unit, and I was about to step over to my line squadron that afternoon. Uh, and we were finishing the first half of the sim, getting ready to go to the second half, and all of a sudden security forces were in our sim area, which is very odd. Right. Uh, and they're taping up the doors. I'm like, this is really odd. 
Uh, and then he went, I was on the one of the banks of the E3 SIM consoles where he can reach us and security force uh, tech sergeant leaned over to me and said, hey, uh, uh, plane went into a twin tower, another one into the Pentagon where a threat got on Delta. And we were doing a red flag scenario and I, the only thing in my head was, that is the weirdest input for a red flag. <laughs> right. Okay, we'll go with it. Uh, I thought it was part of the SIM. It wasn't until we got done with the SIM, we walked outside and saw what was going on. Like, holy cow, something really bad happened. So... It wow. was a surreal moment. So I went right from training right into uh, into uh, post nine eleven world. That is wild, and and the fact that I'm sure you've you've gotten to see the general uh, that was a commander back then who's still general here. General Robinson's still around. Yep, yeah. his stories. Uh, I lived half those. Uh, yeah, and they're, they're very surreal moments. Yes, that's so wild. That's small small wing. Uh, I mean, it's a big wing, but small. How a lot of you have been around that long and, and still been associated with it. That's the beauty of the Air Force. The longer you stay in, the smaller it gets. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and so did did you know back then, or do you know now, like, how significant is this wing to the D the DOD, actually, not just the Air Force? but yeah, I, I didn't know it back then. Um, uh, I didn't know why we were called America's Wing back then. Um, and... You know, my I subsequently deployed uh, less than three weeks later from hitting my line squadron. I was over the skies of Afghanistan wow. on a combat crew, uh, or I was doing noble legal operations off the East Coast. Which, when there was no one flying in America yeah. and you're flying a radar platform, it it's very very <laughs> very weird and right. and, uh, and surreal. Um, you know, after coming in and out of this wing, whether doing mobile ground uh, command and control or doing it uh, airborne, you realize that, or I can't realize like why we're called America's wing. It's, it's not just a, a nice catchphrase to put on the bottom of a, of a, a, a memo or the bottom of our, of our marquee. Right. You know, the America's the joint force does not go to combat without air power and the ability to get air superiority. It just doesn't happen. Right. And you don't have air power and air superiority without mobile command and control. So we are at the heart of uh, anything that's going to happen uh, for America's forces or the joint forces. So it's amazing, it's an awesome responsibility. It's amazing to be able to look back and go, you know, from my time in the service, no matter what was the major flare up, this wing was a part of it. Right. And that goes through all the way to today. It's one of the most important pieces of of hardware anywhere. I mean, it's and and I think honestly, maybe outside of like here, I mean, it's not that many people know much about it. Like every time this plane goes somewhere new and lands somewhere in the United States, our office gets a phone call from somebody. And first wants to know what it is, and are they allowed to talk about it? Can they, <laughs> the news wants to know what that that weird looking plane is. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And in the ops tempo, I think one thing that's always surprised me so much about this particular wing was the ops tempo. Like, you guys are really, really busy. Um, and of course, we, we talk a lot about mental health and, and taking care of mm -hmm. people. And I know taking care of people is one of your biggest priorities. It is. And so with an ops tempo like that and knowing the pressure that this wing has, how important is it to you make sure that your airmen and their families are taken care of? Of course, we got to include the families. They're a critical component. Uh, they are an unbelievably critical, compo critical component. And uh, so my number one priority for the wing is airmen. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just not taking care of the individual's airmen. It's the airmen and the airmen's family. Uh, and one of 
one part of that priority we have uh, in our wing, we call it the, resili the resiliency line of effort. Uh, and in that line of effort, we look at how do we build our leaders to be able to have the difficult conversations with our airmen to make sure mm -hmm. that they're okay. Right. And it's not an easy thing. And it's not a natural thing to walk up to somebody and ask them, are you okay? Are you okay mentally, physically? Are things going well at home? Right. That, that actually does take some practice for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we have the our leaders from our captains and our tech sergeants all the way up to our colonels and our chiefs to be able to have that difficult conversation and find out if someone is not okay, well, what do they need? And, mm -hmm. and how do you have that conversation with how do you get them to start feeling better about themselves, start understanding uh, where they fit in the big picture, start finding out what's the best help agencies for them, start finding out what the best, the best, um, um, the best attitude, or maybe even what are the, some of the skills they need to build on Do they need a hobby? Do they need to go to the gym? Like that's all part of that conversation for our leaders. And so we have that part of our resiliency LOE. Then we have the, how do our squadrons, because mm -hmm. yes, I, I mean, I am the wing commander. It is a large wing. We have 14 different squadrons in the wing. Wow. Each squadron has a unique culture. And how do those squadrons build that culture to make sure it is a welcoming culture? to make sure that it is an inclusive culture, to make sure it's a culture of folks that take care of individuals, treat them like family. Right. So how, how would you treat your, your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your sisters? Because that's someone in your squadron is someone's son, daughter, brother, or sister. So how do you make your squadron have that kind of culture? And the last bit of our, our line of effort is how do our youngest part, our youngest members of the wing, so our younger airmen that just come in from tech school are 18 to 20 year olds. Mm -hmm. How do we build and how do they see a, uh, an area of community? How do we build a community around them? Mm -hmm. It's easy to build a community around families sometimes where you go, hey, we're going to go have a family day. We're going to have bouncy houses for the kiddos. We're going to have a little picnic and get everyone out when school's not in session. But how do you build a community around the 18 to 20 year olds that are sitting in the dorms, uh, not at work? Right. Their family's not here. Mm -hmm. And how do you how do you make that work? So. Uh, that is unbelievably important to us because that all gets into making sure that each one of those airmen is combat mission ready. Right. It's part of their mental and physical uh, readiness is to make sure that they're taken care of and then their families are taken care of uh, and that they know that no matter what hap what's going on with them forward, that stuff back here at Tinker is, uh, is taking care of themselves, their family, and their properties. That's going to be a pr pretty big challenge because, I mean, I served in the Navy in we were gone quite a bit on and i'm glad you joined the air force <laughs> well I, I i went into the air force after in the reserves but uh deploying on ships a lot you know when when you're gone all that time like it really is so important that your head's in the right place mm -hmm. uh for everybody i mean not just for yourself or your family but for your teammates uh, for your mission for the country um, and you guys are not that big a wing, but your your mission load and the importance of what you bring actually to, to all of NATO, of course. But that's uh, yeah, huge. And you guys have been in the news quite a bit lately. We uh, have. Last year that divested 13 tails yep. um, or retired, I guess, is uh, maybe a more appropriate term. We, we have reduced our E3 fleet by about 13, by about half of so 13 tails. We were 31. We're, we're now down to 18. Right. And so is that how challenging is that to keep up with your mission with with the reduced tail number and, and what's the plan moving forward? Yeah. So the E3 has been in service for close to uh, 50 years. Right. Um, it, it is an old jet. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, it is an outstanding jet, but it's an old jet. It's got older technology on it, uh, especially when we look at the primary sensor, the airborne uh, moving target indicator or the radar. Mm -hmm. um, what we look at on our reduction in the um, in the fleet really was to make sure that we can um, optimize the parts we have to keep what is flyable, flyable. Right. So 50-year-old aircraft, 50-year-old parts, some of them are very difficult to come by. Uh, and without some of them, the aircraft isn't flying. Like without the engines, it's just a very large static display. So we're using the jets that we retired to make sure that we have enough supply to keep the jets that we, we have flying until the next jet comes online. Right. Uh, so that's that's really what the plan is moving forward. Uh, our, our aircraft is unbelievably capable. Uh, what we have remaining, whether it be here or the be in, in the Pacific uh, or forward deployed, it will be there for our joint force. It will be able mm -hmm. to provide air domain awareness. It will be able to manage the uh, manage the air battle and manage really the the uh, the multi domain battle. However, it's still an old aircraft. Right. Uh, so we are we are making sure we can manage it as long as possible. Uh, in order to bring the next platform online. And we talk about the maintaining this platform. And mm -hmm. I mean, what could you say about your maintainers over there? <laughs> These They're I mean, miracle workers, a, right? They're absolute miracle workers. When you look at what they're able to do with this aircraft, I mean, it'd be easy to to sit and get, have, hey, let's have a brand new aircraft and uh, it's got a, a great launch and recovery rate. All right, well, let's do that with a 50-year-old aircraft that has very difficult spare parts to come by, right. and they're still launching it. So we are in multiple exercises across the globe. We're ready to do uh, combat missions wherever we need to be. We're ready to respond to um, NORAD NORTHCOM whenever they need us. And those jets fly because of the, really, the unbelievable amount of love that the maintenance uh, group is able to put into it. So, you know, I would I would put our maintainers up against any maintainer in the world. Right. They are highly skilled. They they know how to think through complex problems, mm -hmm. and they make sure that aircraft continues to fly. They're, a, they're miracle workers. That's amazing, and that that that's the working through complex problems. That's kind of the the way forward for the Air Force in in training. Right? There's, was it Mission Command? Yep. Um, and part of Afrigen. Um, have you guys started Afrigen? We are, yeah, we're one of the um, lead scouts, if you will, for Afrigen. Um, our ground-based uh, squadrons started mm -hmm. it as soon as, uh, as soon as they were able, uh, and then our air squadrons took over. Uh, so we've been doing Afrigen as long as we, as long as Afrigen's been out there. Good. Uh, it is a awesome way for us to provide a level of predictability mm -hmm. for the rotational force. Right. So when we're just rotating uh, through um, global force management, we're now much more predictable on when when you're gonna when we think you're gonna be away, when we think you're gonna be home, when we think you're gonna have the most amount of exercises to go TDY, so that individuals can plan their life, mm -hmm. uh, school, vacations, uh, and not have it interrupted. Now it doesn't that doesn't account for there's an emergency across the globe and we got to go. Right. Like that's that's something different. Right. But uh, for a rotational force, it's giving us a lot a much better stable platform, if you will, for. Um, showing where our folks need to go uh, throughout the world. That's awesome. Lean and agile. And it, just to, to give your, your airmen one more set of kudos, you know, they really turned out last year when they, they ginned up all those planes and, and showed that they could gin them up and get a whole bunch out the door for a, a training exercise. That, oh, my goodness, yeah. That was yeah, it's the last time we'll see a photo like that. That uh, was a pretty good show. Yeah, that, and 
they were able to do it. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we are able to flush this fleet if we need to. Uh, we, we do it sometimes just for uh, weather flush or for training. So right. they, those airmen can make those aircraft fly. And the, they have not decided. I mean, we know that the next platform is the E-7, mm-hmm. but no, no. No base chosen yet, I nope. think, for... No, the Secretary of the Air Force hasn't made the decision on that yet. There's a lot of studies that go into uh, where an aircraft will base out of, uh, you know, you don't want to in- disrupt the local community's environment. Right. Uh, you don't, and you want to make sure that we're able to sustain operations out of it. So uh, the the air staff and the Secretary the Secretary's uh, staff is working on that. Right. And probably a lot of lot in the local community too. Absolutely. Um, and then we talk about that. You see, like all around this base, like generally, uh, most people that aren't here on this base seem to think that 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 the E three and the five five two is Tinker Air Force Base. I mean, there are staff. I mean, I think that way. I'm just right. kidding. I'm kidding. If Abby's <laughs> listening to this, <laughs> uh, you think? Well, I hope she listens to it, and maybe some of our friends outside the country, but. Uh, uh, the statues are everywhere. Mm-hmm. We see them outside the fence line. Um, we see that, I mean, probably every local business here uses a picture of an E3 on a billboard any chance they get. In your time as commander, how important has it been for you to see that community involvement? I know you guys have a, a very good, actually you serve in two different honorary commander programs. I do. One specific for your wing and then one is part of the, the installation. Mm-hmm. So. How important are they for you and your your airmen? So, so when you talk about community and Tinker Air Force Base, you know, so my wing is across four bases. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have airmen at Mountain Home, I have airmen at Hill, I have airmen at Dias, and then, of course, airmen here at Tinker. Uh, this is probably one of the most unique communities y- you can be in. You have the community of just Tinker Air Force Base, right? Mm-hmm. 38,000 wonderful Americans that come to work here across six different wings. Right. That's, I don't know of any other place in uh, the United States Air Force or the DOD that has an installation like that. Right. Uh, and, you know, while we, all the wings will probably rouse each other on who's got the cooler mission, like at the end of the day, we're all here for each other. Right. There's a supporting, supporter relationship, and it's a it's a family. It's mm-hmm. a great community to be on, just inside Tinker Air Force Base proper. Right. Uh, we take care of each other uh, when we're all away. We, we, we support each other. Uh, uh, and then, you know, we do rouse each other like brothers and sisters, which is kind of fun. Right. Uh, and then you look outside the gate, uh, and whether it's Midwest City, Dell City, Oklahoma City, Choctaw, oh, my goodness, it's amazing. You look at programs that started here at Tinker Air Force Base, like the Home Away From Home program. Yeah. You know, uh, can't speak hi- more highly about a program that allows our airmen on this installation to go to someone's house and be accepted to be a member of their family mm-hmm. uh, while they're uh, stationed here at Tinker. I mean, you, you can't you can't have a better program than that. Right. And then you look at the civic uh, civic outreach, whether they're from the mayors to chamber of commerces. It everyone loves this base, mm-hmm. uh, and they will. And you know, I've been on a lot of bases. You hear from a lot of communities that hey, we really appreciate the military. When you hear from someone inside the local area of Oklahoma City or the or any of the surrounding cities, well, oh, man, they really mean it. Right. And they, uh, these these individuals bend over backwards to make sure that our airmen are taken care of, our families are taken care of. You just look at the bills that are passed in Oklahoma House and Senate. They're making sure that our families get what they need while, while we are deployed. It's amazing to watch. They sure do. And it, right down to um, child care development. And I mean, we're very on, uh, very fortunate to have this kind of community support here. I mean, they really they really step up all the time. 
Um, and we're all lucky to have you guys, the the America's Wing, that's been here and, and immersed into this since I mean 1977. I think is when your first tail. Our first here. E3 landed here in '77, but I mean the mm-hmm. wing itself is going to be 70 years old next year. Right. Uh, we started out in California and then came over here to Tinker and haven't left because Tinker's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's great stuff. And I think before we get out of here, because I know your your CAG sitting over here to my left and. Drilling a hole through me. I think she's got somewhere to be, but <laughs> I'm just kidding, ma'am. You can yell into the mic if you need to. <laughs> she's bashful. Uh, is is there before we wrap up and get out of here? Is there anything that you'd like to hit on that that we hadn't touched base with? Um, you know, we we touched a lot on on uh, on our airmen. We touched on our, our our ability to do our job. I guess the thing, one thing I would I would foot stomp is. You know, this was a unique wing. I think mm-hmm. every wing can say they're unique, but this is the only wing in the Air Force that has mobile command and control, both on the ground base and the air side. Yeah. Um, so we are pushing the envelope for the Air Force. Right now we're experimenting with our, our new concepts of how to employ our ground based command and control so that it is more agile, uh, more lethal, and more lean. Uh, and they're they are out every day. Our airmen are in some exercise across the, uh, the U.S. or inside the Pacific or inside of Europe testing the, the new technologies and the new uh, tactics to make sure that that, uh, that weapon system moves into the information age. Uh, we are, are pushing the envelope on the E3 as best we can to make sure that that weapon system will be there for the joint force uh, until we can get the next airborne platform uh, in the service. So our, when, I, when I look at the Airmen of America's wing and I look at what they're doing, um, you know, you talked about mission type orders or mission command. Air battle managers, pilots, uh, and our enlisted force, their operators in the wing, have been doing mission command since its inception. They take commander's intent from the air component and they turn it into actions uh, inside the air domain. That is that is what air battle management's all about. Uh, so these individuals now are just doing that at a faster pace right. uh, to make sure we keep up with it, the information uh, information age. And it's amazing to watch them work. I wish most of America could see uh, the Airmen of America's wing at work. Fortunately, a lot of the stuff they do is in the classified environment, but right. it's just an amazing team to watch. They, it, It's not about the technology. It's about the brain power that's inside each one of the airmen that here in the, uh, in the wing. And it is just so much fun to watch them get after some really complex problems for America and find some interesting uh, uh, creative solutions. I think that's great. And because, I mean, that's basically exactly what the rest of the Air Force is now moving into is, is what you just said. It, and bef- before we get out of here, I know we got to get going, but um, you talk about the speed and complexity of mm-hmm. all the things in the radar systems that these people are working. Is it beneficial that that it might be a, a younger generation that's moving in to, to take that? Or how, how do you combine the, the younger generation with, with the older generation. Cause I know my generation, you know, we're not used to working at a speed that, that these systems probably move at. Yeah. I, I'm an analog individual in a digital world. <laughs> um, uh, but I, the, the, another great thing about, uh, the five, five, two is I have every generation represented in the five, five, two from mm-hmm. boomers to alpha alphas. Right. And it's amazing to watch, uh, each, each individual brings a different way of looking at solving a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think we get it right when you walk into a room and no one believes they have the answer. They just believe they have a portion of the answer. Right. And they'll work together to find the different perspectives and different opinions and, and find that answer. Our younger generation thinks at a different speed. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, times is a different uh, different variable for them than uh, some of our older generations, our Gen Xs, our Gen Zs. Um, doesn't mean anyone's right or wrong. It just means it's different. And that that difference is what gets us to be able to actually solve problems faster because we're looking at it from many different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think we get it wrong when someone walks in a room and says, I have the answer. Because right. I don't think any of us ever truly have the answer. We just have bits and pieces of it. Uh, and watching this wing understand that and be able to get through uh, through through the through the paces and the trials and the opportunities it's just it's it's awesome it's the best part about being a commander when it's a good it's a good thing to have too and it i think it just takes it says a lot about the leadership of the wing uh that's able to take you know i think chief bass said to us on our podcast not long ago there's like six generations of people serving actively in the air force right now that just blew my mind but it sounds like america's wing is right there you've got every generation represented but it does take good leadership and a strong plan to bring all of that together and uh, find find the way to mesh it all together to be go- so effective. Uh, and there's no question that you guys are incredibly effective um, because of what you do every day and, and how much they're up flying. Uh, the wing is blessed to have great squadron commanders and great senior enlisted leaders that are, are taking these airmen to where they need to be. So it's awesome. It's awesome. And so, sir, with that, I think that's a great place to wrap up. And uh, thanks again for taking time out of your day. Anytime. I know it takes a lot to get you over here into our fine little area here, (laughs) our fine conference room. And CAG, thanks for for sticking along and hope you got some good notes. And uh, so with that, we're going to leave you for this edition of Tinker Talks. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 